Workout in a little yeah. workout to start uh, to start what the truck doing kind of getting getting balanced. It's hard to do anything outside because it's still raining. Yeah, watched uh, Neverending Story two last night. I don't know if you ever seen that one. First one's a classic. <laughs> Second one, not so much. No, and you know they actually had the audacity to do a third one, which was even worse. Jack Black's in the third one. Do you know that? No. Oh. Well, maybe that was the one redeeming. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing. The, the second one, the only redeeming thing is that, like, it has that 80s aesthetic with, like, uh, mural backdrops and paintings like that. I think it made $17 million in the box office, so it made the kids happy with the, the, what, the theme of fighting good and evil in some original animation. The kid who played Bastion Bucks, he hung himself. What? Yeah, when he's 23. Not during the movie, like, afterwards. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. He has one wish in the movie, and he wishes for a spray can. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, he could have used a little more imagination, I guess. How do you take your coffee? How do I take my coffee? Uh, black and hot, I guess. All right. So when I get a latte at Starbucks, I like it dirty. So on McMillions, okay. episode three, McMillions okay. is a docu-series on HBO about the McDonald's Monopoly game. We've talked yeah, about it before. You are you were enthralled with this. Yeah, but it, I was repulsed during one episode where they uh th- th- this couple orders coffee with 10 creams and 5 equals. It's awful stuff. Oh, awful stuff. Here you guys are. Right here in the, the LinkedIn people. comments. All right. It's time to pay the bills. This episode is brought to you by Redwood Logistics, a leading logistics company whose diverse solutions portfolio includes freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services that simplify the integration of disparate supply chain technology. Redwood connects its diverse roster of customers to the power of supply chain management, technology, and the industry's brightest minds. For more information, connect with them at redwoodlogistics.com. Well, this isn't good news. So, if you've turned on any of the news shows uh, this morning, coronavirus, global stock, Dow is down. Yeah, uh, there's the, a lot of bad news. Yeah, the Dow opened to uh, to staggering numbers. It was down near 1,000 points. It's been going between 750 and 1,000 underneath. Coronavirus is top 79,000. Uh, Asian and global markets are reacting as the, uh, as the disease spreads beyond China into Korea and Italy. Global fears are nearing nearing pandemic levels. Coronavirus debts have now topped 2,620. I guess it was only a matter of time, but let's uh, at least listen to what a professor, Yossi Sheffi uh, of engineering at MIT, uh, he's a professor uh, of transportation and logistics. Let's hear what he had to say. He's concerned about the developments, but he's looking ahead at the impact uh, of COVID-19 in a few months. And of the two possible developments, uh, I guess I'll present the uh, the best case scenario that he offered, uh, she- uh, which is that in two to three months, we'll start having a boom of stuff coming to the West Coast and trucking rates and rail rates will spike. Chevy said that many of his contacts in various supply chains are looking at that scenario and trying to anticipate how they might react to it. Of course, it would be a best case scenario for carriers, for shippers, not so much. Yeah, the other scenario is that there is no spike in rates, and Sheffy said that is likely to happen if this pandemic gets even worse, right? And we just saw the global markets react, so I hope that this doesn't even, not just on a, I mean, on a lot of different levels. You're looking on a freight level, you're looking on an economic level, you're looking on a global health level. 
You're looking a, at a psychology a, level. I mean, if it's a 3% death rate, think about it. There's what, like a hundred and some odd people who work at freight waves. That means like uh, three and a half of us or so would die. Is that what it's up to now? Because it yeah. was one out of a hundred. Wh- which three of us do you think are going? I know you're <laughs> one of them. Um, yeah, it must be me. Uh, oh, you're getting a dinghy. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, it also affects Mexican auto and electro- electronics factories. It's, they, as we've already talked about, they've been disruptive, disrupted. Uh, the, um, you know, the, the virus, as we've also said, represents a black swan event for multiple segments of global ocean shipping. And, you know, basically, I think we should just say go to FreightWaves.com for the latest details on impacts for our timeline. We've done an article on it. Yep. Yeah, so uh, for uh, and meanwhile, in other news, mass layoffs and reported after Starsky Robotics fails to find a buyer and investors. Yeah, autonomous trucking startup Starsky Robotics has laid off the majority of its engineers and office personnel after its fundraising efforts and attempts to find a buyer failed, a former executive says. A skeleton crew remains at the company's headquarters in San Francisco as Starsky co-founder Stefan Seltz Axmacher, chief executive officer, and Kartit Tiwari, chief uh, technology officer, continue to seek a buyer for the four-year startup. Since 2017, Starsky had raised more than $20 million, including $16.5 million in Series A funding from Shasta Ventures in March 2018. According to Crunchbase, however, the startup failed to secure additional funding since the last round nearly two years ago, probably because people took a look at that that truck, I mean, the cameras on there, it looks like, they look like uh, security cameras you'd see in the 1990s, like in an action movie. Just uh, It's it's in beta. Give him a break. Like Schlegel told well, I don't think it's in anything anymore. Seltz well, Axmacher in Taiwan yeah. did not respond to Freightway's request for comment regarding the mass layoffs at Starsky. Approximately 85% of the company's engineers have secured new jobs with its competitors in the self-driving space, Ooh. including Waymo, Cruise, Too Simple. According to Paul Schlegel, former senior vice president of Starsky, his last day. It was January 31st. He's out of there, too. Yeah, well, Schlegel told Freight Waves that Starsky's cash flow problem started in November 2019 after a key investor backed out of another round of funding at the last minute. He said the company's co-founder scrambled and found new investors to find new investors or a buyer, but failed to do so before its funds ran out in late January. So, however, he said uh, Seltz uh, Axmacher is uh, still actively seeking a buyer for the company, when we had an investor pull out at the last minute, we didn't have a lot of time to recover, and that really hurts us, he told Freightwaves. Yeah, financial trouble started for them uh, at the beginning of the year. They said they're going to run out of money in January, but they made a crucial mistake when they decided to become an over-the-road carrier. I mean, I I, I don't think they understood that side of the business. Uh, and it's like, are you a tech company or are you a trucking company? A trucking company is very hard to grow from. You're going to rob Peter to pay Paul with both of those. I think... Uh, I think in the next story, we're going to kind of see uh, another example where private equity gets oh, yeah. into a company. And, you know, you, they like to the look at that EBITDA. But then when they realize that you're paying for uh, depreciating assets and they don't account for that, a lot of that net revenue gets eaten up. California-based trucking warehouse operator suddenly shuts down. It was Michael Ducey Trucking and Michael, Michael Ducey Logistics Incorporated, collectively known as MDL Logistics, suddenly shut its doors on Friday. The California-based trucking company and warehouse operator had 45 power units and 120 thousand square feet of warehousing space more than 30 employees were impacted in the shutdown mdl primarily served the wine industry a major industry in peso rebels a small city in central california where wineries are a major part of the local economy in uh, september 2018 going back a little while head hall capital partners a new york-based middle market private equity fund purchased mdl from the company's founder head hall 
raised $150 million of capital back in 2016 and made 11 investments. The PE firm was founded by Jeffrey's investment banker, Seth Wilson, and specializes in transportation and logistics buyouts. So you would have thought they knew what they were getting into. Headhall Capital Partners has four other transportation assets in its portfolio, including Anderson Cargo, DSI Logistics, Great Western Leasing, and OL International Holdings. The team behind Head Hall has been involved in transactions that include Arnold Transportation, Atlas Air Holdings, KC, and New Century Transportation. They sent out a letter to employees that went, We regret to inform you that Michael Ducey Trucking and Michael Ducey Logistics Warehouse, collectively known as MDL, will be shutting our doors effective immediately. The saga of Michael Ducey Trucking and Warehouse Companies is a long one, and like all great sagas, whether good or bad, there must be an end. This one has a very bad end. Private equity funds have had a poor track record in taking over asset-based trucking business. Often when the companies are shut down by private equity firms, the firm does so abruptly, leaving the employees, vendors, and stakeholders with little explanation or recourse except to fight for debt obligations in bankruptcy court. Yeah, it was uh, it was a scathing letter that um, the uh, editorial board wrote on behalf of them out there. Um, the, for the full thing, check out our, um, our article on it. You know, similarly, as you covered when you first uh, came aboard Freight Waves, Falcon, a large flatbed trucking company that had been purchased by a private equity fund a few years prior, it was suddenly shut down. Uh, Cold Carriers, another private equity-backed roll-up, tried to restructure to keep operating but couldn't make it work and announced that it was shutting down a few months later. All right, let's call it to Mike Brown. He was, I yeah. believe, employee number one over at MDL. So we'll get his uh, his inside scoop on what may have gone down over there. Five, count of five, five, two minutes. Hey, Mike, how, how are you? Good, sir. Hey, Mike, uh, thanks for joining us. No worries. Yeah, so we heard the bad news over the weekend about MDL. I know that you were with them from uh, 1999 up until August of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that you may have been, what, employee number one over there? Uh, I wasn't number one, but I wasn't far down the list. It so, was... Uh, yeah, so you were you were one of the very first ones, as we understand. You were there for 20 years, but you, you got out, as we understand, in August of 2019, not very long ago. So you must have seen something developing. Um, no, they, they actually asked me to leave. They had terminated my position when they got rid of uh, all the trucks we had in the Northwest. Oh. And a lot of the trucks that were doing the over-the-road, uh, California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Plains. Uh, they, they laid off all the local Washington, Oregon drivers and then, uh, went on for a few months and then terminated my position. So Mike, how did things change once the private equity firm took over the investors and leadership? How did the, uh, did you notice operations starting to take a nosedive and, and what was that last year like with them? The last year was like, um, their direction, of course, was more to make money, uh, which obviously that's everyone's initial plan in business, but they kind of worked in a direction of what made them the most money. Uh, and, and a lot of the stuff that we'd done for years kind of went to the wayside. So, well, um, so they were trying to make the most money. They did. It turns out they, I guess, weren't going to make any money. Well, t- let's back up a little bit. You spent 20 years there. Tell us a little bit about your experience at MDL. Um, why did you, uh, I guess you enjoyed it. I mean, the area must be beautiful. Uh, what was your experience there? 
uh, I mean, Paramount, it was, uh, I started driving at 17 um, in the United States Army. And I got an opportunity to drive for Michael and, and his family. And they're probably one of the greatest families that you'll ever meet. So it was, it was a great opportunity, had great truck, had a great reputation. Uh, we did great service to people. That's what it was always about was service. Um, as things transitioned through the years, we were close to, I think, to about 80 trucks at one point. Uh, we had a pretty diverse network of stuff we did. And it was, uh, it was very prestigious to work for Michael because of the name um, and the business that we did. And so it was a great company. Uh, I left, moved up into uh, the Northwest, and I had the opportunity to come back in 2006, start my own little miniature office, I guess, if you want to call that for him, and uh, grew the company uh, on my side of it for 13 years from there. So it was a, a great opportunity. I learned a lot. Do you know why they decided to sell and why they brought in the, the investors and they went the direction of private equity? I believe it was just from a standpoint of with a lot of companies, you get kind of get tapped out. Uh, you know, we needed to repower the fleet. We needed to expand. That was what I understood. You either have to get in front or you fall to the wayside. And we were trying to get in front. That's what I understood their initial uh, reasoning was. Well, so you guys were servicing, as I understand, uh, sort of the wine industry in the area. And I, I don't know all of the parts of your operation. I guess there is a void now. Is anybody ready to service uh, your um, your customers? We're trying. Um, we're, we're several of the local companies and myself and, and some other carriers. We're trying to help those local people out. But with the uh, quick exodus of the company, uh, there, there's going to be a hole for a while until we can get powered up and, and help those people out. Was the it's, uh, it's, I was going to say, was the freight market last year difficult to operate in? I know we see we've seen problems with it with, with general freight. You're a little bit more specialized with wine, but was that a contributing factor to all this? No, no. the the wine The wine and beer industry is a pretty solid market. Mm. Um, you know, we've done it. The business started in 1996, so it had been in existence 24 years. Uh, when I came on board, there was three trucks. Like I said, I think at one point we were in the 80s, so it was a pretty pretty solid business. It seemed like, uh, based upon the editorial that I, I read, that the community itself seems also pretty outraged about the way that things went down. Um, and it seemed like maybe a close, a close knit kind of community. Is that, is that true? Is that how it is out there? A lot of good people? A lot of good people, very close families, a lot of generational uh, families out there that have been there for, you know, hundreds of years, uh, you know, more, more than a hundred. So you have many generations of families out there. And a lot of us were people, I, I knew guys that came to work for us that I'd known prior to working for the company. So it was a pretty tight knit family of people, some great employees, some great talent there. Uh, a lot of growth with people. We, we learned a lot. What do you think is the most critical error that they made in when these investors took over the company in mismanaging a business that was pretty secure and pretty stable, like what you guys were working in? Well, my, my belief is uh, it was attitude. Um, they had an attitude of that they could come in and kind of maybe uh, dictate how things were going to happen. And that doesn't work so well in, in small communities. 
And, and I think that was probably the start of the end. So kind of disrupting the, the, the culture and maybe not knowing as much as they purported to. Was this what do you mean with like the people who work there or with your customers? They had an attitude towards towards them, like in terms of doing RFPs and rates and all those things. Correct. L- lack of respect, I believe, um, of the people that we did business for. Yeah. Business is conducted a certain way. Um, business in our small area is conducted in a very special way. So you have a lot of bonds that were, you know, made, um, through those many years of, of employees. And we had employees, like I said, long-term employees that had relationships with people and we helped them, you know, daily, yearly, monthly. We, we have, we always helped them. We did what they needed to do. Um, that that's why we were the business we were. Of course you, um, you've been out of there since, uh, since August. What, uh, what are you up to now? Are you, are you still close to, to the, um, to the area? Uh, well, I'm working uh, with a new company out of Napa, California, uh, doing much the same, but just on a smaller basis. Um, again, given the opportunity to do some great stuff, and we're working towards that. We're same taking that same idea of, of helping anyone we can uh, never turn down a load. That, that service first, that's what it's about. Mike, how's the recovery been? I know there were some devastating fires that swept through there last year. Uh, how's the recovery been after that? Uh, it's been good. They uh, again, small community area. They people came together, uh, helped people that were displaced. I know they did a lot of fundraising in the area, so it, it's it's a tight knit community. And the wine industry, the the beer industry, they're really tight people. Everybody knows everybody, and they'll do what they can to help. Great, Mike. If, if, speaking of help, if you know anybody at M, uh, at MDL who is displaced, we have a free job board too called FreightWaves.Careers. Hopefully that can help them get back on their feet if you if you don't already have a lead to send them off to. So we'd just like to extend that out there as well. Yeah, it's great. I, I've offered to anyone that, that needs help to ask. There's a lot of great talent there uh, that I'm sure will be snatched up pretty quickly uh, by other companies. There, there's people that have been in the business a long time and they've, they've got a lot of knowledge. Well, thanks for being willing to join us, uh, yeah. you know, in, in light of the sobering news. We appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Not a worries. Thank you, gentlemen. Good stuff. So, that, I mean, not bad stuff in terms of that, but pretty eye-opening to, to hear that insider's perspective of people come in, they don't understand a business. You know, they think because they're successful in one arena that they'll be successful in uh, another one, and that's not always the case. Is Kevin Hill out there for our quarterly rate update? Let's see. Do we see Kevin Hill? Out Kevin there? Hill. No, he's not out there. So we're going to take Anthony Smith right now because Anthony Smith is here. Send Anthony Smith over, and we're going to play a little game we like to call Market Expert Trivia. Market Expert Trivia. Yeah. Market Expert Trivia. Yeah. Market Expert Trivia. Woo. Now we have another game. What is it? Yeah, we're bringing you in early because... Hey, uh, what's up, dude? Market Kevin Hill is too late to show up. Sorry, Kevin. Hey, Carlos Ramos, hey on, says, love this show. So thanks for listening, man. Shout out to you. And Josh Hankins also says hi. <laughs> All right. So, All right. You know the game. You know the rules, but we'll we'll give them to the audience right here. So there's your buzzer. Right? That's you. Yeah. This one's me. This one's me. What do you, what? 
What does he want? Oh, you're muted. All right. Muted. He wants you to be on. I am here. All right. I don't see. I didn't want you to be unmuted because then I win automatically because nobody Uh, can hear your answer. I see the tactics. All right. That's me. This is you. Okay. All right. Yeah. He reads the questions. Are they multiple choice, Chad? They are multiple choice. Every single one ends on D. Okay. So he's got to read them all so the audience can play along too. And then you can buzz in. Then and only then. You got to stay behind the the, the cowbell. I don't know, because I've seen yeah, your lightning fast reflexes do now. All right, right. <laughs> all right you guys, right here. Right why, here. I mean, right, it's right. The, why don't you guys, just, you could have your fingers like right next to the buzzer, right? Behind I mean, the back. It's hard to tell when it's a tie anyway. Right. Anyway, this is a market expert trivia based on supply chain trends. All right. Supply chains, they're undergoing rapid transformation in response to global volatility and uncertainty. We did an infographic on it. From Emily Ricks. And uh, here's question number one based on it. Number one, subscription-based models. Which way are they trending? In 2019, SaaS products worldwide saw revenues in A, negative 45 billion, B, negative 15 million, C, 45 billion, or D, 85 billion. C. C is incorrect. What? He was going to say C, too. What what were you going to say? They're already clapping for me. Uh, (laughs) You're you're, you're on applause. D? D is correct. Uh, 85 Sometimes being bold and brave and going first doesn't always work out. Actually, it was a tie, but if you, I guess, just yell out the answer, then... (laughs) It uh, It wasn't a tie. Also, your ear, your hearing isn't as lightning quick as mine. You mentioned Emily also, Ricks, vi- very talented. Yes, she is. Very talented work. Making us some good infographics. Question number two. There has been a heightened use of the cloud. It is predicted that by 2023, supply chain cloud-based investments will surpass A, $5 billion, B, $11 billion, C, $21 billion, or D, $45 billion. Yes, Dooner. C. C is incorrect. What? No, that's correct. Uh, no, it's. I'm sorry, it's not. B. According to, okay. B is correct. Yes, Eleven man. billion. Really well, a hole. Yeah. Well, it's all right. It's not over, Dooner. Would A also be true because it's also over five billion? Well, even though I'm that, doing terrible in this game, <laughs> Peter, Peter, PJ Benoit says keep killing it, Dooner. So yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, you can win by losing. You're killing it all around. Number three, how many companies believe that sustainable supply chains will actually reduce costs? A, 14%. B, 24%. C, 34%. Or D, 44%. Yes, Dooner. 44%. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't look at the infographic. Oh, I, I, apparently, because there wasn't a whole lot of information on it. It was pretty straightforward. I'm trying to be optimistic. Um, can we can we get the numbers again? What was it? A? Was it 14, 24, 34, or 44% thought that it would actually reduce cost in okay. the supply chain? I'm going to go with 34%. That's correct. C, ah, 34%. Geez. Yeah, sustainable supply chains, it requires that all partners consider how their process processes and actions can be supported Thanks. by nature and society over the long term, but there's no clear and easy and perfect path. So I think that maybe even though a lot of companies realize they want to do it, yeah. they don't all think all right. that it's Stop patronizing us. Uh, <laughs> worth a, you have the just cool giving you a little commentary, man. Um, cool okay, soundboard. number four, intelligence in the supply chain through AI and machine learning has grown by blank percent over the past four years. A, 75%. B, 150%. 
C, 220%, or D, 270%? Oh, (laughs) applauding yourself? Um, Yes. Go ahead, Anthony. C? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Okay. Yes, Dooner. B. B, 150% incorrect as well. Is this a... Well, no. well uh, <laughs> that was, oh, that one. D, wow. 270% right. over the that's past four well, years. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Thanks for having me. But it's yeah. not over. That's just four. Oh. <laughs> Man, dude, rushing I mean, him along. Mathematically huh? eliminated. Yeah, there's, um, there's, there's no uh, magic wand with uh, machine learning, but in, in a lot of cases it can help, especially if you have access to big data. James Dean Anderson two, said 220. Mm. Well, it was pretty close. (laughs) Five. It appears the Internet of Things, IoT, is coming of age. As costs fall, research shows the number of businesses using IoT devices grew from 13% in 2014 to 25% in 2019. The IDC, which is the International Data Corporation, it forecasts blank percent of annual growth through 2022. Is it A, 6%, B, 9%, C, 13%, or D, 18%? Yes, why not? D. D is incorrect. Yeah, I got to keep my streak of five wrong in a row. Oh, uh, doesn't 13%? even matter. 13% yes, is correct. Wow. Yes, so they're, they're doing all kinds of things, and they expect it to grow a, a modest but solid Annual growth yeah. of 13% through 2022. Awesome. awesome. Wow. Man. Did you kill it on MET I, yeah. this time? Got a couple right. Yeah. Anthony Smith. Yeah. yeah. Man. For lost time. Well, the only reason I was trying to shuffle them out is we, we have a call at three. Those are scheduled pretty hard. So we got to get Kevin in here. Okay. We got to get Kevin here. Yeah. here? Okay. Right. I he doesn't really you. deserve it. I did my cut. best Kevin Hill impression. I know. Here. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Great job. You guys have the same Anthony haircut. Smith. Exactly. Go to the same barber. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, dude. All right, now nice. let's bring Kevin Hill in here, even though he was tardy and should probably be cut from the show. But we'll have him on anyway to find out what's on the radar in Sonar. The radar. Because he's contractually obligated to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quarterly rate Talk update. Pretty cool, right? It is, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is quarterly rate update, and but, you're probably busy updating everybody on all of this information and research that you're constantly doing, right? Constantly doing, yeah. So, so we just did the the shipper rate mm-hmm. forecast as well. Hey, I don't want to take yeah. my, my, my people. So, um, right. well, so you did this quarterly rate update, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, for, uh, for have shippers. you done a few of those, or is hey, this is the first one? First so we, one, yeah. So we did it with the um, inaugural. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was uh, brought on by. Uh, our friends at U.S. Bank and Recon Logistics. Well, could you let's start start us off with like a a freight forecasting sort of executive summary. So so basically, it was it was very similar to the the quarterly carrier sentiment indexes that we to go out. So so basically, it's, it's kind of split down the middle uh, between or maybe in thirds of what the the the, the volumes are going to be like in the, the first quarter going into the second quarter of. 2020, as well as rates. So it's almost like a bell curve on on, on each question, right? So you have uh, the majority uh, or maybe the plurality, right? Between about 40% are saying that no change and then, you know, 25, 30%, uh, a little bit more or a little bit less. And then you have the outliers. Uh, the, the the bottom, and it kind of goes through the, the three-way tie we had on the carrier sentiment is that no one really has any idea where volumes and rates are going to go in the first quarter of 2020. Is it because it's of the Black Swan, Swan event? 
I was even before that. Oh. So let's see what the Black Swan event. Uh, I guess what coronavirus? Yeah. Is, is that the Black Swan? Co- COVID nineteen could be. Oh, okay. <laughs> COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's COVID. Yeah, it's COVID nineteen. Yeah. Trucking <laughs> failures. They played a big part in this whole thing, right? They did. Yeah. So trucking failures or continuing to 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 happen. I don't know if they're they're quite accelerating. Uh, yeah, but it's on at least the same pace that we saw in 2019, which will take uh, capacity out of the market. And then we have, uh, you know, uh, the drug clearinghouse. Yeah. Which I think that I, I saw something last week um, that John Gallagher had written, I think, 8,000 so far. Yeah. Which puts you on pace for a, a lot of people. Well, that, well, that, that will be on the other side of that there. The other side of that math is 90% of, of drivers haven't registered. So you have 8,000 fails with only 10% registering. I, I know, right? So I, I think we were going to, to, to do a, a survey study on that, or not uh, necessarily a survey study, but a study on those numbers uh, after the first quarter. But I think after February, we might be ha- we might have enough data to, to actually do it because it's, it's getting very interesting. Mm-hmm. It really is because, as you said, only 10% of the drivers have registered for it, and you have 8,000 Failures already. I wonder how, is, what the percentage is, of that is. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what we're going to look into and kind of try to project out over a 12 month period and, and see what kind of capacity hits that, that that'll happen. You did a survey too. You do a lot of surveys also with put that coffee down. Yes. Um, I don't mean to rush you because we, we do have to call Steve Fer- Ferreira to talk about oh, uh, nice. this, this JB Hunt and VOCC thing. Yeah. But, but, but what was your takeaways from the shipper survey? So from the shipper survey is that no one really knows what's going to happen and that there's not a sentiment on either side uh, of loads or rates that that anyone feels strongly about. I, I think that the winner is it's going to be about the same as, as 2019. That's kind of what we're seeing in Sonar too. Loads are, are pretty well flat and you see rates are flat and, and everything is is pretty well the same right now as, as 2019. We'll see once we hit the, the warmer weather and the 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 typical peak season what happens after that so thanks how do people get this uh this rate update so you can go to freightwaves.com and if you google um quarterly shipper rate uh study or or report actually uh, you know first quarter shipper rate report uh on freightwaves just google that and you'll come to the page where you can download it cool thanks you bet thanks Thanks, kevin check him out tomorrow 2 p.m on great quarter guys all right now we're gonna call Steve Ferrer, because Ocean Audit had broken a really interesting story about J.B. Hunt becoming an NVOCC. Pretty sexy seeing their name on a on an OBL. Let's dial them up. Find out why this is what's trending in supply chain. Now trending in supply chain. Yeah. Steve Ferrer, he's been on before. I've done a Freightwaves Insiders with him. Okay. He, uh... He's from that school of uh, letting your phone ring multiple times. Hey, hey, Jim, good afternoon. hey Steve, how are you, man? <laughs> good to hear your voice. So you put up a you put up on over the weekend. You said Ocean Audit exclusive. Now it's on JB Hunt to become the budding new Amazon of global logistics. This is big news. Why is this big news? Fill us in. Well, this is big news because I think that uh, finally the this lumbering giant of a domestic. Um, uh, beast is now able to basically take all those wonderful full container load and rail clients they have in the U.S. And guess what? 90% of those uh, clients of theirs ship ocean. So yeah. it's just a simple buy to move to go and say, hey, 
how about this new product of ours? And I'll tell you what, I am getting tons of uh, likes um, from a lot of the, the JB uh, senior staff. So this is, this is good. It's not like, you know, hey, Steve, what's, what's up with this? I think they're kind of glad this is out and about. So, hey, if I was a sales guy, I would love this. I would have loved the JB Hunt leads when I was moving freight. And I've always kind of wondered, Steve, why the carriers? Why aren't more of them NVOCCs? Is it they just want to focus on their core inland business because they have all of these relationships? And uh, it seems like we're at a point of maturation where a lot of these companies can leverage them. JB Hunt now being one of them, be by becoming an NVO, right? Yeah, you know, Tim. I think the answer is it seems like it would be the obvious thing to move into, but I, I think it's true that, you know, when you are kind of that big lumbering, you know, strong domestic company, you remember it's, it's to be sharp in international ocean operations is a little bit of a different animal. So I think that there are some fine moves that need to take place. And I can see why they waited a while, meaning JBH to uh, what I'll call perfect their license to make it uh, good to go. So they're ready to go. Um, and I think that one of the things that uh, a big company, domestic company like JBH, they may not be going after the, you know, the high-end fashion um, date-sensitive retail, but nothing to stop them to go after the less sensitive type commodities like furniture, tires, chemicals. So, Steve, uh, how did it how did it develop? Has it just been a strategy of theirs for a while, or like what what led to uh, to the, to this news? Well, the the thing that most people don't realize is that. They have a lot of practice at this, right? So they, uh, as you know, Tim, they produce their um, uh, a good number of their empty containers or the new 53-foot built containers in China. And so they, through working through various partners and getting their feet wet, they said, you know, well, these JPH containers are being made in China. They're coming back totally empty. Why don't we somehow find a way to get one-way um, eastbound movements out of them to generate some revenue? So... They've been dabbling in this for, you know, well over a year, you know, going through um, other partners and, and third parties using their new build equipment. So it's not like it just happened out of the blue. But um, I do believe that this is, a, you know, a, neat, a unique opportunity that gave them a chance to um, do their due diligence and, and really understand kind of a la vis-a-vis Flexport, you know, how to build up the volume. And, and I think that's a really interesting um, scenario to relate them to. Steve, one of the big takeaways from Stiefel's previous the conference from a, a week or two ago was that more shippers are looking for these end-to-end solutions. So JB Hunt is plugging right in. Well, well, people are looking for consolidation in the marketplace. There's so many different players, but but the shippers need it all brought together because a lot of confusion in uh, in what's going on there. Do you think that this a move like this, when we're seeing more carriers buy up brokers and and more? like the J.B. Hunts of the world becoming an NVO. Is this bad news for a ton of 3PLs in the world? Well, remember, it's all about relationships, Tim, right? And, and I think that when you look at what the J.B. Hunts of the world are trying to do, and even the Mercs and the CMAs to try to provide this edge-to-edge ser- service, you know, it's all about co-opting the beneficial cargo owner and moving them you know, closer so that obviously there are more um, uh, services that can be sold. And you're able to... Um, ratchet up different profit levels based on, you know, a lower level, a premium level of service. You know, we've seen it in the past with APL where they've been a pioneer in, in offering, you know, real high-end premium guarantee services. So I think it's a natural ev- evolution. And I think the 3PLs definitely should be concerned. Does this, uh, well, I mean, this will probably add to their data volume too for their visibility services and their software, their their JB Hunt 360 platform. Will that come into play in this? Mm-hmm. 
this is a home run for them. They're, they're able to com- combine all the incredible technological advantages that they ha- they've had as a um, domestic and, and rail carrier. And as long as they've done their homework, and it looks like they have because they, they waited a little while to, to actually you know, activate this, um, you know, I, and I believe it's, it's hard for me to tell from looking at some of the new data I'm seeing, but in some ways it's not going to surprise me if the service has already started under the radar. Um, so I, I think it's just a win-win for them. And I, I think if I was to reincarnate from Ocean Audit CEO to, to someone, it would be, you know, JB Hunt International Sales because they're, they're like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm. Well, and, and the, why not be an NVO? I mean, if the ocean carriers take up all the risk and with the vessel sharing agreements and all those kind of things, you're just creating another channel, another revenue channel for for your customers. So do you see a bunch of a bunch more inland carriers like the Schneiders of the world following the leader here? J.B. Hunt uh, paving the way and a lot of other ones becoming NVOCCs and really starting to target that global ocean freight market. Well, Tim, we already have 5,000, I think, registered, licensed uh, NVOCCs that are doing commerce in North America. And, you know, as, as that number expands, and, you know, you have to think of each one of those, uh, obviously, is, is a quasi-ocean carrier. And so the, there's a lot of noise right now. And, and the, I think the, the goal here to success is how do you separate from the pack, right? How do you become a a flex port with the technological advantages that they're trying to offer. How do you become a, a JB Hunt to surface out of the clutter of domestic and move in pioneering into, into ocean? And then, of course, you know, you have your, your main stage, your DHLs, your shankers, and, and so on and so forth that, um, you know, I know um, no sludges at all when it comes to knowing what they're doing in the business. So it's um, even with JB Hunt, um, I'll tell you, Tim, I think it's, uh, it's, it was a learning curve for them to get to this point. I wouldn't look for them to go gangbusters with the volume. I think they're going to be very uh, judicious in terms of who they go after. I, I think they've got a very good plan. Um, I, I, not that I have, well, based on past performance, I, I think I know exactly the type of uh, cargo um, bandwidth they're going to start with. And uh, for them to um, layer that on slowly like Flexport did, it, it's a great formula. But it is hard to do. It, it's harder than... It's harder than you might think to start an NBO, hey, even uh, if you're very profiled as a domestic carrier. Steve, uh, a listener has a question. James Dean Anderson, he says, well, it sounds like a logical step. At what point does antitrust law come into play with international shippers moving ocean freight and moving inland mixing? Yeah, I think that that's a, 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 no, you know, a, a novel area that uh, hasn't been explored because other than, um, you know, you haven't seen too many, um, too many large conglomerates do this right um some have looked at it and failed so i think that is probably something that would be open up for um you know suggestion negotiations and and some discussion downstream but right now i i don't see it as an issue i don't i haven't seen anything where they've required any regulatory um snafus or hit any snafus to fulfill this uh, new um new spectrum I guess my, our last question before we let you go is we opened up talking about the coronavirus. We've been looking at the timeline. We see what's happening to the Dow and the global markets today. What impact uh, or, or fears are, are your clients showing to you right now? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I just did a study on that. Um, and I think one of the issues that we see here is this COVID-19 came at a horrible time, obviously, uh, on the in the throes of the Chinese New Year. And I think one of the biggest issues is how accurate are the factory productions and the get back to work schedules? I mean, when we had the SARS issue in 2003, 
it was outside of the Chinese New Year. I think coming on Chinese New Year, my clients are sitting in, in war, the war room right now. Um, I have one of my biggest retail clients that I work with. Um, they don't want anything to do with any outside calls because they're just so busy quarterbacking this in this supply chain. So it's a major issue. I think it's definitely, um, you know, causing the supply chain to be at least, you know, a month and a half to two months behind schedule. Wow. Steve, uh, always a pleasure having you on the show. How do our listeners get more information from you and follow some of your uh, breaking news and reports? Sure. They can uh, reach me on uh, LinkedIn. Just uh, um, search for Steve Ferreira or Ocean Audit and always uh, OceanAudit.com. Tim, it's great to talk to you as usual. Thank you. We appreciate it. Take care. All right. So, man, that is a do you think that's a big deal or a little deal? Well, that's obviously a ginormous deal. Yeah. And it's time to talk about big deals and little deals with Emily Zink right now. She big joins deal. us in the booth. Big we just got the scoop on. Hey, uh, big on deal. Oh, wait, you guys can hear it and watch it on that in the green room over there, can't you? Yeah. I know you guys can't see in our camera, but we have a. We have a new setup where people it's, can. It's can really watch nice. I like it. Outside. It's Bonafide yeah. green room. It's finally happened. Yeah, <laughs> a lounge chair <laughs> yeah. and everything over there. We got Ouch. everything. Two TVs. We got a nice little workspace going. I'm liking it. Yeah, really liking it. So we got some good ones today. Oh, do we? Yes. I always have to ask: Is it panel panel pina? Panel pina. Panel pina. Yeah. I always want to do the the, the Y. <laughs> yes. The Spanish Y. Pina. Okay. Panel pina. <laughs> DSB panel pina. Is that peanut <laughs> expects to eliminate up to pina colada? Like say it like that. Pina colada. Yes. Okay. Expects to eliminate up to four thousand jobs as it integrates the logistics operations of panel pina. Yeah. So DSV <laughs> was its own company, and uh, they they're they're merging with panel pina. So, okay. Yeah. So that's okay. what's going on here. Uh, is this a big deal or a little deal? It's a huge. 4,000 people are losing jobs, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that this is the... So we saw a lot of trucking carriers go out of business last year, but I think that the 2020s are going to be an extinction-level event for a lot of brokers out there because you're looking at the yeah. GBHs of the world becoming NVOs, and you're looking at these these companies consolidate and pick up market share and build out, and you're looking for more shippers wanting end-to-end solutions. And now a lot of these bigger companies have finally got the technology and they finally got the partnerships in place to do it. Which means that, and I also think automation is going to be a big thing. So automation is probably not, I don't think truck drivers are nearly as at risk for automation as people are at brokerage, as people who do pricing, people who uh, who put DOs out there, people who file entries. A lot of that stuff can be and will be automated throughout the decade. And uh, here's 4,000 less jobs that'll be in the field and one less company for them to work for as DSV panel Pina becomes one thing. So which, big deal for you. What do you think, Chad? Which I think is ironic because... You know, like all of the media attention for the past several years has been on the automation of the driverless trucks and the drivers losing their jobs. But it may turn out to be that that's delayed and that the real automation may be the thing that we're we're celebrating technology and the excitement there. But it may really uh, all of this automation may just automate people out of jobs because of efficiency. Of course, it's a very yeah. big deal. It's a lot warehouses of, too. That's a, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And warehouses as well. Um, as Mr. Loon said, it comes down to efficiency. The company panel Pina was, uh, was making a small margin, but it wasn't competitive and they had to right size the business, have the right structure. And because customers don't want to pay for the inefficiencies. Yeah. It's a so, good point. Yeah. Like a lot of jobs we could automate, but I think Truck driving is not one of them in the very near future. Well, because you have a big regulatory thing, too. You got to go. I mean, look how long it's like just 
medical marijuana, look how long it's taken that. To, and I think we'll have a question about that. But to to get every state to agree because we're state based now and no. or 18 year old <laughs> truckers, just think how long it's going to take until uh, aut- autonomous trucks are allowed to go interstate. Yeah, it's going to be a very long time. Well, Chad, unscheduled yeah. truck maintenance costs are rising. A newly released benchmarking report shows year over year Q4 roadside repairs costs rose 20 Six percent. Is this a big deal or a little deal? Uh, I'm. I mean, that's a that's a high sudden cost. Uh, I'm going to say little deal because I mean I don't know. It's it's the the repair time's been incremental. It's been it's basically been attributed to higher labor rates, more toes because of uh, equipment complexity, which will continue to be seen uh, partially due to tariffs. Um, so all of these things were cited for the increase. I bet you that maybe they'll get a little bit better about like mechanically being able to fix on the side of the road, which would reduce the tow cost, which is ex- extraordinary. But uh, I'm going to say relative to everything, little deal. Okay. Yeah. It's cheaper to fill a cavity than get a root canal. So yes, it's it's a big deal. And as JD from TTF Fleet Solutions, he's probably pumping his yeah, chest right like, How many yes. times did I tell you new trucks break down too? Uh, so routine maintenance is is, is very important. And uh, as they know from their data and uh, people aren't doing enough service on their trucks, they're waiting until they break down. And these costs are escalating. 26% yeah. in a margin business like trucking isn't great. So fill the cavity, don't get the root canal. Big deal. Good advice. Okay, (laughs) big deal from Dooner. Well, more than half of the United States and the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana for medical use in some form. But tricky technicalities inhibit shipping medical marijuana. Is this a big deal or a little deal? We need to get over this. I mean, so many states are recognizing it as medicine. You have to allow people to get treated and get medicine. It's it's the devil's lettuce. Oh, no, it, it's medical marijuana. I mean, it's legal in places. Massachusetts, like it happened there, think nothing. Uh, the no, we still have a great ended. economy yeah. in Massachusetts. Still one of the most educated states. You know, there were the only thing that happened was it caused a lot of congestion in towns because there weren't enough dispensaries for people to get their buzz on or their, uh, you know, or their medicine. Really? Is that what was happening there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Not because what buzz. happens is they'll only give like 18 licenses out. Like it happened in Chicago, too. There's a big glut of people. If they went in Tennessee, it becomes legal. Yeah. For like a year, you'll have to wait in like massive lines yeah, just, to, LA, uh, just yeah. to get a dime bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know what? I, I see it as a kind of a big deal of an opportunity for privately owned companies that aren't going to be forced to comply with the DOT regulations. And so, like, there are some uh, some um, carriers like uh, in Michigan who are, you know, taking ad- advantage of that opportunity uh, and, uh, you know, making making bank. Of course, it has to be a cash only business, too, because of the lack of federal uh, jurisdiction in, in the uh, thing. So, I mean, I, I'm going to say, is this a big deal or little deal? Uh, I mean, it's an it's a. I'm going to say a little deal, I well, guess. He's wrong. And, I mean, another <laughs> reason why he's making a bad point here is because think of the other industries that can't get involved being a cash-only business. You're talking about the Venmos, the pay, the PayPals of the world, a lot of banks that because it, because it's federally illegal, they don't want to have their finances seized. And in places like Massachusetts, it is cash-only. And then so then you got to go to ATM and you got to pay ATM fees and everything. So it's it's extra expensive on the consumer. Yeah. It's just not good. That's true. You make a good point there, Dooner. Well, close to 8,000 positive substance abuse tests and more than Oh, John, Tr- John Taratuta, he says nothing medical about pot from what I've seen. If, show, if so, please show me the research. Well, John, I think you could probably Google that. 
Okay. <laughs> Back to our game. Close to 8,000 positive substance abuse tests and more than 650,000 registrations have been recorded since the start of the Federal Drug and Alcohol Clearance House that started back in January. That's all according to the FMCSA. Big yeah, deal or little deal? I think it's an emerging big deal. Like, uh, I mean, we, but we don't have all the data. We were just talking to Kevin Hill about this briefly. He's saying it's getting interesting that 8,000, we don't know how mi- out, out of how many that is. Is that out of 80,000? So it's 10%? Is it, what is it out of? So that'll be interesting. And as Dooner's already pointed out as well, 90% haven't even, according to our data, haven't even uh, taken the test. So, man, like what will happen? Talking about your driver shortage, I think this is an emerging big deal. Okay, something to watch. So if you look at the NFL, like the collective bargaining agreement, they're actually removing tests for THC out of it, fails from from the drug tests over there because... One of the reasons is that, it, and, and Jack, to John's question, too, a lot of players would end up using painkillers or would get um, involved in much worse drugs than marijuana. So as a preventative drug, it's worked well. But I think if you go to a cancer wards, you'll probably see some yeah. uh, benefits. But the reason I bring it up is with the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, right now, if you do take a gummy or you smoke some weed, that's going to that's gonna make yeah. a test come up. Yeah. So if you're a driver and you have, I don't know, gas pedal knee or some sort of anxiety or anything going on, you're not going to be able at this time medicate with marijuana. Now, you don't probably want someone driving while they're they're high, but you don't want them driving intoxicated under any drug. So it, you know, to to John's point, so it's a big deal. We've always been talking about the capacity. Only ninety percent of drivers are registered. Um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean they are driving under the influence if they don't pass the test as well. I guess we ought to say. So yeah, they um, could have within a period of time right. could have yeah. abused yes. a substance. Yes. So yep. we don't have all the information, but it seems to be a an emerging big deal, as you <laughs> yeah. like to say, something to watch. A developing situation. Well, the Canadian prime minister says his government has exhausted all of its efforts to bring a negotiated end to the protests opposing a gas pipeline's proposed path through indigenous territory and that the economic costs to Canada have just become too high. This has now disrupted the country's country's supply chain. For the past two weeks, is this a big deal or a little deal? Yeah, it's a big deal because they're seeing upticks in rates for trucking, which is good in the short term. But if you ask anybody, they say it's terrible in the long term because all this freight is being held up. And with stuff like coronavirus holding up freight and stuff too, it's it's uh, not good, not good for the drivers. It's a so big protest. Although they just on. sent yeah. um, they just sent the police to break it up. Did they? they? Uh, yeah. He well, said thought, enough is enough. I thought this gonna... was funny. Like Trudeau comes out and he says, "Enough is enough. <laughs> the barricades must come down." Yeah. And then they're like, "Okay, all right. How should that happen?" He's like, "Well, that's up to." Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm just a politician. They know what to do. Um, They get down. What about the indigenous people who are upset (laughs) about it? (laughs) Yeah. So. So um, that's interesting. I don't know. Seems like a developing situation. Yes. I mean, for the I was going to make the same same points like in the short term trucks are like they're at full capacity or over. Uh, They also but I think everybody realizes they need to get the trains moving again where 60 percent of cargo volumes are tied to the rails. And so if it keeps on going, it's going to impact everyone negatively um, cross border as well. So it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, this happens a lot with with the the Keystone XL pipeline, stuff like that. So people. People are passionate, but it does it does tie up things in terms of logistics. The Canadian. Oh, just read that one. Air Canada. I knew it was another Canada one. Yes. Air Canada is paying salary and benefits to 400 pilots, pilots it hired and trained to fly the MAX who are just sitting there with nothing to do until the airplane is cleared 
for commercial They're so service. nice in Canada. They are. 400 people still being paid to not fly. What do you think about this? Yeah, I'm Look, we're hearing... It, it, you see the Dow today. You hear about coronavirus. You, you hear all these strides. There's a lot of industries that are starting to get hit. Like last year, it was like yeah. a lot of the recession prognosticators. Consumer confidence is still good. Housing starts are still good. Well, you know, the airlines have, we've, we've already seen in their earnings, they're getting beaten down. And then this max is just an unmitigated disaster for everybody involved. We've heard about the problems with the, all the cost of, of warehousing all these planes. They can't have go up in the air. Uh, it's just another industry that's getting hit bad. So it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. I think that it's an interesting strategy. They must be really optimistic about those maxes being ready in June as the you know it just keeps on getting delayed, pushed back. Uh, you know, there's probably some business strategy to it. What what are the Who wants costs? to get on them either? Right, those those maxes. Not yeah. not I. Uh, not not unless they paid me. Well, you're not gonna no, you would not even get would on you? if you were paid. No, hold on a second. No. Hold on a second. But if you had booked on a flight, no. have you ever, do you ever look at the type of plane you're booked on? No. I know. He'd have you know? He's gonna, and if we That's, have to take I, a flight somewhere, I he's really, not he don't. Do you all? No. Yeah. yeah. James Dean Anderson says it's a drop in the bucket. These are billion dollar planes. Just pay the pilots. Well, we need them anyway. What I was going to say the strategy I mean, yeah. seems maybe it's a good business decision. How much is it going to cost to let them go and then rehire at the given time? So they're riding it out. I don't think it's just altruism. Uh, but yeah, it's an industry taking a hit. Man, it seems to be all over the place. It's been a lot of bad news. Well, this is really good news. I love this next story. 86-year-old Mary Ann Wakesfield makes a 90-foot putt to win a new 2020 Nissan Altima during the halftime of the Alabama basketball game over the weekend. Did you guys see this? Yeah, yeah. I Beautiful saw it on ESPN. by her, yeah. Yeah, so that's why it's a big deal is on ESPN. <laughs> no. Oh. Like, it was a big deal. Like, how did she hit it that straight for that far? 94-foot yeah. like, putt. That was a confident and well-stroked putt. Yeah, I love how excited she was. Yeah, I mean, she didn't really earn it as much as, like, Jason Gonzalez did when he got his Sprinter van. You know, he had to start an entire new industry delivering those Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, but, you know, still pretty good. I'm not going to throw shade at, at Marianne Wayfield. No, it was a really Basic. solid putt. I mean, she, she crushed it. Yes. Yeah. It. You never see anyone. It's always so close. It goes down to the wire, and then they, it always curves one way or the other. Because think about how impossible that is to putt yeah. on a floor, a gymnasium yeah. floor. Yes. So, yes. So it's good for her. Well, you <laughs> love this next story. An Arkansas uh-huh. woman rushes to Chattanooga hoping to reclaim her labradoodle that had been missing for over a year. The dog's name, Miss Beasley, is that it? Yeah, I, I believe so. Miss yeah. Beasley. And well, the story is because she, like, she was missed something and then the dog was Miss Beasley. But this is a, it's been really rainy and the weather's been gross here, but like the dog has been on the run for a year now. It's a crazy story too, because she's from Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. So in the headline, it sounds like. How does she know it's the right dog? Is she giving it like a, a 21 in, an ancestor? Well, to catch everybody up with the story, right? So like she's from Arkansas, but she was like maybe going to have surgery or something. So she takes the dog to Chickamauga to leave it with, I think, a cousin or something. But no sooner was she driving away and already kind of gone when the dog jumped the fence. And yeah. so the dog wasn't responding to the new owner's yeah. voice and ran off. Next thing they know, they finally start like I think that was it for a long time. Yeah. They didn't know anything. And then months later, they 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 hear reports of a dog about 14 miles away on Browns Ferry Road that matched the description, was very skittish. 
And it's been making the rounds. Where, where has it been and living for a year? Yeah, that's what like I they're, don't know. They, they, and in the pictures that, that somebody took, it still looks rather. I can't tell if it's its coat. Maybe that's what it looks so full and fluffy. And it's, yeah. I, you'd think it'd be bones. Oh, it's not I looking good. So. Not no, looking, but I think oh. some neighbors look. have been feeding no, it. No, she's saying it doesn't <laughs> look good. Does, it doesn't know, look. She like, said like for a homeless dog, it yeah, looks good. I guess it that, needs a haircut. Like for a street but dog. I, I don't see it looking like skin and bone. It does look very matted. Well, now they're trying. They built a trap, right? They built a labrador trap and they're trying to get it to go in. I'm just picturing like cart like a like a box with a stick and it's, it's like milk bones. No. In it. Yeah, I know McCamey can't even catch it, but you know they they're they're like trying to find where it hangs out. It's oh. like finding the Sasquatch or something. I guess so. Like and now it, it's now it's like when you look for it, you can yeah. never find it. Like Miss Beasley, when you're not looking for her, she's always walking along the side of the highway. Very elusive. Market Street. So my dog got out one time and he was found riding around with a UPS driver. He was running on the highway and this UPS driver stopped and lured him into his truck wow. and he spent like the next two weeks just doing routes with the UPS driver until he tracked us down. So someone how, how did he? He how'd... saw a posting in the newspaper. So we got Peter the dog back. But Peter the dog was having a great time with UPS. Well, and for that reason, while it's easy to say, oh, little deal. I mean, 4,000 oh, people lost their yeah. jobs. This is a big deal. It is. I yeah. know someone I don't wants want to, their dog It's a different back. thing. I mean, it's a yeah. dog. Yeah. Like, that's a huge deal. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal. You can't, you can't be that guy who's story. like, well, what about 4,000 people that lost their jobs? I mean, you look at them at different scales. But, you know, when you go to other countries, like I did my honeymoon in Costa Rica and there's like there's stray dogs oh, that just like city yeah. dogs. They don't really have owners. They just live Somebody downtown and, and they everything. follow you a little bit and then you give them some food and then they yeah. go. Off. The, the one sad thing is they all have like little sores and stuff on their body skin, probably because they're eating too much. I don't know. People food. Yeah. People. People feed them everything. Yeah. Yeah, so you gotta think. sad story. Crazy story. I bet they're so going to spotted. end up. Yeah. Getting, but is what is. Is is the dog is Miss Beasley ever going to be the same when when they do read? Like, I don't know. They've reunited. I've done stories she, about people reuniting with their dogs after like seven years, and they are perfectly fine. All right. Okay. So now, I think a single dog will okay. be good. We got to turn the table. We got to turn the tables right now, Chad. Big deal, or little deal. Emily Zink, EVP of content at Freightways, will host a fireside chat with Aaron Andrews on the subject of winning at work as a woman, discussing how to break the glass ceiling in this. Well, Dominated. <laughs> you want to whisper that one? Yeah. Um, so, so, so tell us what's up. What's big deal or little deal? Well, you guys got to decide. Oh, oh, you're asking you. me. Yeah. I think it's a big deal. Everyone knows Erin Andrews. She is a household name. I, whether you're a woman and you like to watch Dancing with the Stars or a woman like me and watch sports and you see her on the sidelines or I know men enjoy watching. She was on ESPN. Now she's on Fox Sports. But especially in the sports industry, it, it was hard to be a female sportscaster for a really, really long time. And I think she was one of... Other than like the Doris Burks and great women Susie like Colbert. that, she was yeah, she was one of those recognizable faces who she started to do a lot and she made a name for herself to show like, hey, I'm a girl, but I'm doing this and I could keep up with all of you guys. And she's made a successful career out of it. And we're in an industry that is very male dominated, but there are some powerful women. Take Shelly Simpson for example. Yeah. She's one of many powerful women. So I think it'll be cool to see how the two, our field and her field intertwine and in how you really win at work as a woman. She said she kind of grew up as a tomboy. Yes. She always yeah. was into, into sports. I remember when I lived in Atlanta uh, around 2000. She worked there, yeah. That she was, she was a very young broadcaster for, uh, for the Braves. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we just thought... My wife and I thought she was really cute and really good good at what she was doing. Look yeah. at her now. I know. Yeah. Look at her now. She's all grown up. Yes. But there there are some, like, I talked to Ingrid Brown over the weekend on Freightways Radio, and she she even has, like, her, 
She's a citizen trucker for TA, so she even has a truck stop named after her. And she said that even still, when she gets confronted by a lot of male truck drivers, they'll often pull the woman card on her and they will use her gender, they'll weaponize her gender against her. And I think that a lot of times when pe people get like so defensive about this stuff, but I think women are also not, I mean, fair pay is one thing, but they're also asking just not to be completely disregarded because yeah. of your gender and not on some valid argument. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, too, is people hate the saying like, oh, she's really good for a woman. Yeah, they just can't she just be really good just for the job that she's doing. And I know that that's across the board in all industries. And that's it's really come to the forefront that people just want to be recognized for their work that they do, not for their gender. You know, yep. there's still a, and, and women to this day still in that sport. Yeah, she's on the sidelines. Susie Colbert's on the sidelines she's on the sidelines of the Super Bowl. But they're still not in the broadcast booth. No, you know, they're still they're still not calling the game. You have. Jason Witten in there who, uh, you know, played some, Witten in yeah. blood. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yep. it's still there's still a long way to go. And there's still she still probably has she feels like she probably broke down some barriers, but still there's more to go and more more moves to be made. So. Well, yeah. I think that the uh, the industry will be fascinated by listening to y'all's yeah. conversation on May 6th in Atlanta. Yes. Uh, at Freight Waves Live, get May your tickets. Six, right? I think yeah, the actual talk. The six, yeah, yeah, but you got to come for both you days. Got, oh, you can't just hey, come I'm for that. I'm just literally and, saying yeah. for that All particular right. conversation that we're right. talking about. Thanks. No, I just want them to come for the whole thing, though. It's going to be a great time. Of course. I'm excited. Just, I know we're going to have the live stage yes. there. We're going to be running that uh, like gangbusters. Like, yeah. we, you know, you saw that you got a taste of it in, in Chicago. Chicago. It's going to be bigger and better. It's always going to be bigger. Yeah. That's new shows, too. That's the fun part. We, mm -hmm. we get to debut new shows there on the live set, test it out, try it out. And so everyone should get their ticket. What's coming up on Freightways TV? Well, every week. We've got our lineup now. So we have, um, and well, I'll be sure. Yes. What's the big news you've shared over the weekend? Oh, yes. One million views. So we have been live streaming. You got it. <laughs> so. After just yeah, how long? This is a huge deal. So we started live streaming on FreightWaves.com two weeks ago. Took us two weeks to get one million views. So thanks to you guys who are sitting there watching on FreightWaves.com right now. It has made all the difference. We've had so many people reach out to say, how do we get our content on there? And that's exactly what, what we want to hear. And we want to continue to share stuff. Our friends at K-Ratio just made a video. And I said, you know what? I'm going to throw it. I got, I'm going to throw it up on the live stream. On so it should be coming on. After this, because I know a lot of people are doing video and we want to celebrate those people, too. Yeah. So, yeah, but a lot of shows coming up. That was the big thing, though. One million views and counting. I think it's up to like 1.4 now. So it'll be cool when we get 2 million, but it will be even cooler when we get 20 million. So we'll continue to watch that. And one million at a time. Yeah. yeah. What what I love about your show on um, Put That Coffee Down is you have the call-in aspect. Yeah. And I really want people to utilize that because there's nothing more fun than if you're sitting there and you have a question. Sometimes people, I love how people are interacting here right now, yeah. but we can't get your attention because you can't look down every second, but we do have a call-in number for put that coffee down. So it's great if people want to talk to you right away and get your attention, pick up the phone, dial that number. That's Wednesday at 1 Eastern time. The number always goes out the day before on LinkedIn, so be watching for that. But I, I think that that show's great with the interaction. I'm loving all the interaction on your show today. There's a lot of people Thanks, watching, yeah. a lot of people commenting, a lot of really good comments, people saying how insightful your show is and it's fun and it's entertaining. So I always sit out there and I watch too. Sure fooled them. Um, <laughs> all right, fantastic. So two, two p.m. tomorrow. We've got the uh, we've got the great quarter yeah. guys. Uh, One p.m. Wednesday. We have put that, that coffee down. down. Two p.m. at the Freakonomics. Wednesday insiders. You got a special one. Oh, Thursday. Thursday. With, Thursday. Yeah, with Frank Fuller yeah. celebrating two o'clock. Three years. Our three-year birthday. 
this Thursday. Great Waves celebrating our two-year birthday for show we call What the Truck. A couple weeks early, but you yeah, know, it's coming up. It is coming yeah. up. It's I'm in sorry, a couple of weeks. My one-year birthday on the show is coming up. Your your one year is not coming that far away, May, right? Yeah. You debuted on the screen over there at Freightways in Live. Atlanta. What the hell is gonna debut this year? You gotta find out. Get your tickets now. Get a passport too. You get all the research. Freightwaves.com. See you there.